Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Hey everybody, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where we go over our favorite things in the entire world and then exclusively focus on the worst versions of those things. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. How you doing, Andrew? I am doing fantastic. As always, I'm good to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, we're just chugging right along right here. This is episode five, right? Is it already? It's so fast. We're we're five in. We're, we're actually, uh, this is the last one that we're recording before we officially release these things and see what the world thinks. Right, like five days from now. So all, all of this has just been on spec. We, <laughs> we're we just kind of counting on it working. Yeah, we've really just been hoping that we can make something happen. And uh, I don't know, so far so good. These all feel good. We're actually, uh, last episode we had on our first set of guests. And today uh, we have our next guest, which uh, guys, I'm so glad to get him on here. Uh, when we first thought about this podcast, I was like, I know exactly who I'm going to call. Uh, you may have seen him on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, his Comedy Central set. His album, Y'all, is out wherever you like to listen to your comedy albums. It is one of my favorite pieces of comedy from the past year. Guys, welcome the very funny Jay Jordan. Jay, how you doing, man? Hey, good to see you, Win. It's always fun when I get someone from Memphis to say y'all, because people, <laughs> every now and then, a New Yorker's like, Jay Jordan, you all, Jay Jordan, y'all. I'm like, see, I saw what you tried to do. Once again, segregation exists up here, too. Uh, so His album is out, Jay Jordan, you guys. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay Jordan, you guys. Yeah, buy the fucking album. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'm very excited to be here. Good to see you again, Andrew. And I'm excited for the premise and the subject matter of this podcast. Oh, this episode is going to be fantastic because I feel like we brought in an expert on the subject. There Today, we're going to be focusing on the X-Men franchise. 
Yes, the film franchise specifically, the comic books are even more convoluted and it's a night from 1963 all the way up to now. I don't have time to explain where we had dips, but as far as a franchise, I can point to one thing very specifically that's happened in recent memory where it went horribly wrong. But let's focus on the good before we get to the things that we hate. So Jay, okay. let's just start us off. The X-Men franchise Give us, give us your history. Give us what it means to you. Why do we? Why should we love the X Men franchise? Why should we care? I love it, but I just want, I just love your impassioned uh, fight for it. You have to think about the world of cinema pre superhero films and the only thing that we have that even came close was we had epic franchises like star wars and then slowly in the early two th- late 90s we got the blade franchise and then we got um i want to say sam raimi's spider-man but for me the x-men because i was such a huge x-men fan that's the franchise that made me go oh my god they're gonna attempt to do this live action we had a few other media depictions of the x-men we had the x-men the animated series we had the failed pilot pride of the x-men pride which the is X-Men. so insanely crazy <laughs> real nerds know about pride of the x-men oh my god pride of the x-men is the the characters you see in pride of the x-men are also the base for the x-men arcade video game so a lot of the figures and a lot of the characters you fight in the x-men arcade game they're based on pride of the x-men so you've run into these uh kind of like manifestations of the characters before you even had generation you have generation x the made for tv movie that happened which was attempting to show like the newer team of x-men uh, and a lot of people fell in love with the Saturday morning cartoon on Fox. But in 2000, whenever Brian Singer said, oh, I'm going to do this. And he cast big names, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. Patrick Stewart is one of the first fan castings that I remember going, oh, they got this perfect. Patrick they Stewart in this- that movie is fantastic. It's the perfect casting. To put Picard as Xavier is just mwah, chef's kiss. I think like that's that's what got me hooked on X Men. I didn't have experience before that, but seeing him here is like, oh, okay. Can we can we have him just do everything from now on? It's not like I didn't already love him, but it was perfect. <laughs> and this is before people were casting RSC like Royal Shakespeare Company actors and everything. This is before we had. Uh, this is before Loki. This is before we had uh, Anthony Hopkins as Odin. These are some very classically trained names in Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart that said, yeah, I can bring a largeness and a gravitas to this role. Now, what I love about the first movie is that it's so 2000s, but they establish so much. Uh, When Stan Lee created the X-Men in 1963, part of it, I think, came out of laziness because he said he just wanted superheroes where he didn't have to always have them get bitten by something or something blow them up or they didn't have to get bombarded by rays. He just said from an evolutionary standpoint, if we think about what Darwin states, this could happen. It's all some of the best parts of pseudoscience and they're just born different. And who would have thought that a queer black kid in Mississippi would identify with that (laughs) message? So... Jay, like, I'm, I'm losing what... my mind right now. I'm so happy to have you on to talk oh, yeah. about X-Men. This is this is the most fun I'm having. Oh, please, please. It's... It's... So, like, 
what we love about it is it's a call to arms that difference is not only good, some of the most different people in the world have a largeness in their heart to save people that are actively trying to attack them. And it's a message that rings true. It's evergreen. To this day, uh, minorities, queer people, and my trans siblings, disabled people, everyone identifies, who's ever identified as an other, sees themselves a bit in the X-Men, which was so beautiful from a storytelling standpoint. The first X-Men film, I want to say, um, it also really established that Wolverine was going to be the linchpin of the series. Uh, him and Anna Paquin as Rogue, uh, Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman actually is very funny because Hugh Jackman was cast and he's Australian. And in one episode of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, Wolverine accidentally has an Australian accent because in the 80s, the team was in the Outback as their base. So people just assumed he was Australian. So there's all these like tiny little Easter egg, like serendipitous connections between that. Hugh Jackman, this is also before he decided to become the most vascular human ever. (laughs) So Wolverine... Wolverine looks kind of normal in no, this. The, like, the evolution, you you could... the evolution of Hugh Jackman's body <laughs> in the first X Men to it in like Days of Future Past is just so oh. night and day. Of like the first one is just like that is like, <laughs> like he looks like a guy that works out in the first one. A bar yeah, fight. He looks guy. like a guy who yeah. would have a bar fight, and then Days of Future Past, he's just like looks like a guy who has had all of his meals planned. He looks like he's been shot up with steroids. He looks like he hasn't drank any water. He doesn't look like he was allowed to look at a glass of water before he shot his naked scene in Days of Future Past because all of his veins are just clearly on display. And Jay, you're the first uh, guest I can uh, admire. Me and Jay have like a huge fascination with getting uh, just fucking jacked. Yeah, with getting huge jacked, man. Uh, I think... One of the funniest parts of Hugh Jackman's kind of like evolution into that is that in the comic books, there's also like this evolution that happens whenever Wolverine's adamantium is taken out by Magneto, where he becomes like more feral. He becomes like much more bestial. So you kind of see that happen with him physically. You just go, I don't even know who this dude is anymore. You're like, are you sure this is the boy from Oz? I don't know. I don't know if I believe that this person is a magician. Uh, I'm certainly, I mean, it's not going to open anytime soon, but Harold Hill does not need to have like a very etched serratus anterior. He's just trying to... You telling me Mary and the librarian only fucks dudes with eight packs? I don't okay. <laughs> so it's just like it's so interesting. And then okay, my other favorite part of the casting was that James Marsden was such a good Cyclops. And to make a good Cyclops, you have to skirt that line between being a Boy Scout and being someone that people still care about. And he did an amazing job. Femke Jensen was amazing as Jean Grey. The only thing I'd seen her in, I want to say, during this or previous to this, was Nip Tuck. And she had, like, a very problematic role as a trans woman. But as Jean Grey, she was both super powerful and super subdued. And then you had Holly Bear. You had Holly Bear, an A-list actress as Storm. And we're going to forgive a few of the wigs, but she delivered some of the 
campiest but still most memorable lines in the franchise you know what happens to toe when it gets struck by lightning the same so thing as ha- everything else that's a that's a Boom. joss whedon line the guy who wrote buffy yes. and the avengers and everything it was supposed to like a line that she would say like as a joke yeah but like brian singer went and made it like the most dramatic line reading of all time another thing we'll forget oh other than God. the wigs is her african accent that comes in oh. and out <laughs> In and out, we don't even know what to... (laughs) Okay, so this team of X-Men... Also, it was the first time we saw superheroes, and they said, we're going to try to go with the Grant Morrison version of the suit. So in in 2001, there was a new X-Men run by writer Grant Morrison, and they said, we're going to have a bit more clandestine suits. We're going to have less flashy colors. So the the suits became a bit more pedestrian, but they still had tons of insignia on them. So you could tell they were the X-Men. And that's what the first movie suits are based on. So you have this amazing first movie. I live in New York. And every time that I see tourists, they're like, oh, we're going to go to the Statue of Liberty. And I'm like, I know. Whenever I go to Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island, I'm like, I cannot believe this is where Magneto did that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to turn the world's diplomats into mutants. I always think of... Into mutants. I always think of the scene where Wolverine is like, he's thrown by Sabretooth and like he catches himself on the crown and like does a complete 180 flip using his claws. Oh, it is... It was that early 2000s wire work from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> Mystique has a few moments like that, too, where you're like, listen, I know she can become anyone, but also, what are fish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't even talked about Rebecca Romaine. This is where it can get a little bit pervy, and as a bisexual, I feel okay saying this. The sexual awakening <laughs> that everyone had to have, realizing that Rebecca Romaine was naked. There's a point in the film where you go, oh, oh, she, oh, oh, she... She's naked. That, that, right. I'm going to be honest. And it was still PG-13. Mystique, Mystique was definitely a part of just like a, what is, oh, oh. <laughs> and also watching it when I was young enough that I believed like, no, they, they're going to have missed a nipple at some point. If I pause <laughs> this at the right time, like somehow they're not going to notice this. <laughs> Uh, and, I mean, to the end, that look was so iconic. They later on in an X-Men, I think, Unlimited series, they gave her that look in the comics. And then giving a shapeshifter a set look is also kind of silly because then they'll just be like, well, but, I mean, you can if you want to. <laughs> right. So, I mean, moments like that. And then you have the second movie, which is so good. When the first, one of the best first scenes in any superhero franchise. I I say this, I say this and I will rest my X-Men Bible on it. You don't have a better opening scene. Even the Magneto Auschwitz scene is not as great as the White House scene in X2, X-Men United. Yeah, no. Uh, Nightcrawler just going through the entire Secret Service. For one, Nightcrawler is personally my favorite X-Men. Uh, and our introduction to Nightcrawler yes. too, no appearance in the first movie, right? This is how we yeah. first see him just being this ultimate badass. Yeah, he's the ultimate badass. He's always been my favorite because uh, like, oh, Nightcrawler's Catholic? I'm Catholic. Yes. And like that was that was my, that's why Nightcrawler and Daredevil were two of my favorite superheroes when I was a kid because I'm just like, they also know the pain of going to confession. <laughs> <laughs> Nightcrawler's so Catholic, at one point he became a priest. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is hilarious that the X-Men have a chaplain. <laughs> the, the, the thing with Nightcrawler is like they're never sure if they want to make him a priest or if they want to make him a pirate. Oh yeah. It's all it's fun 
to go, oh, but what if a priest had sword? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? We can't give him a sword. And there's no reason that you can't. So you have this amazing second film. You have some you, some of the best acting in the franchise happens in the second film you get to see so many cool effects you get to have you get to have an amazing plot you get to have a really good adaptation of william striker Very you get a so. villain that is i mean brian quasi cox. sympathetic yeah brian cox's striker is fantastic brian cox oh. is fantastic in anything but him as striker in that second movie is amazing I mean, I don't know how he doesn't get the role as Mike Pompeo whenever all this shit is over, <laughs> because I want to see him struggle with the fact that he's working for another supervillain. So also, just quick note, I wish the Nightcrawler scene could happen every day currently. Right now. <laughs> and a lot of people say, oh, Jay, but he didn't finish the mission. And I go, yeah, I just want to scare the shit out of him. I don't need us to commit regicide because that's what it is. We have a camera now. Uh, but I just want him to be very, very scared. I want his diaper to be full. And then you have X3 um, directed by Brett Ratner. And a lot of people say... This is as bad as it gets. And you know what uh, I know what I say to those people? No, we got the sensationalism that we wanted from a final installment in a trilogy. Brian Singer left because he had to direct Superman. They killed James Marsden very quickly. And there's I have some questions about that film, but I think it's a good film with bad parts. Exactly. I will say I will stick to the casting of Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Oh, that was so again. good. Absolutely. Fan casting before we could even know we could do that. You have you ever seen Fraser kick ass? <laughs> it was, it was everything. The second I heard Kelsey Grammer was cast as Beast, because I'm also a huge Beast fan. The second I heard Fraser was Beast, I was like, well, that's that. Yes, this is going to be the he greatest says, movie ever made. Oh my stars and garters, and it doesn't even sound silly. <laughs> it's so he's because so he's, good. Uh, it's perfect yeah. to cast Fraser Crane as Beast is is perfect casting, and also another like internet sensibility of this movie yes. is the Juggernaut yelling, "I'm the Juggernaut!" Yes. We got fan service from YouTube videos before we even knew we could get that. It also let a lot of people know that at the time, this is what you could do from a uh, visual effects standpoint. So it's an attempt to tell the Dark Phoenix story. And then we had another reboot. We had them going back. We had X-Men First Class, which is a really cool attempt by Matthew Vaughn and Simon Kinneberg. And it was a good movie. It, it has a really good... I think the ending of the movie is insanely well done. Yes. I think that understanding magneto's rage as a young man like you cast uh michael fassbender and james mcavoy as magneto and charles respectively once again you did another great casting of magneto and xavier that's they went two for two to yeah to knock it out of the park twice is impressive and i'll even say uh jennifer lawrence in that first one yes is very compelling as mystique yes oh my god so many like just a moment i you know what i even say i argue that i don't know what negotiations have to happen but if january jones would have stayed on as emma frost we could have gotten more from her the one thing 
that happens is you go, oh, I don't know how they're going to keep going. And then they give us Days of Future Past and you go, oh my God, this is an amazing movie. That was so Time good. Time travel? And so right up nerd alley to be like, oh. we're bringing back Ian McClellan and Patrick Stewart and they're going to act opposite of James McAvoy and Michael Fall. It's perfect. It's so good. And there wasn't even trouble with it. It wasn't, it wasn't even hard to get into or accept. It was like, no, we're just going to go back in time. And it was so seamless that it was just all fine. It was incredible. Oh, and because they committed to the bit, we got some of the most epic kind of like, once again, fan service. We got to see Storm take down a Blackbird with a lightning bolt and blow it up. We got huge Sentinels. In X-Men, The Last Stand, we got to see a Sentinel head. Yeah. And... And a fastball special. And a fastball special. (laughs) But in this film, we got to see, like, the the newest form of Sentinel. It was kind of them attempting to have their own Nimrod or, like, the the most futuristic version of a Sentinel. It was so aggressive, and it was also such a big... It was such a big attempt for a movie, and I loved it. Once again, this was... End game before we knew we could get an end game. I just I want to say that because oh, of the wow. amount of people that were in it. I'll agree. It had so many different characters, and even if it was like the same characters twice in a few cases, yeah. it was still like they brought in everyone from the original movies. And to do that at the time was mind blowing to have those guys come back to play these parts. And then to also just add in the the new cast, it Days of Future Past is a fantastic movie. I don't think it gets the credit for that either, that the uh, that, that they established this trend of recreation before uh, that. that I, I feel like Iron Man gets so much of, of that, but I feel like X-Men really hit that first. It just doesn't get the credit for it. Oh, yeah. X-Men, I mean, it's it created a cinematic universe, and it was honest about timeline divergence and what happens when you choose to affect the time stream. And they've, they effectively said, when you do this, you don't, it's going to course correct, even if you create like a different tributary. And so like they had so many iconic images. There's the, first of all, Magneto lifting a stadium is just a feat. They went from him, they did Golden Gate Bridge. He lifted, he stopped the Cuban Missile Crisis. Sometimes I don't think they get enough credit for some of the scenes they just write so they can show off how strong Magneto has gotten. Yeah. <laughs> like, it escalates every movie. You're like, whoa, my God. You had the Statue of Liberty scene, which is great. Then the second movie, you had the ball-bearing scene, which will go down in cinematic history oh. as one of the coolest scenes. Too much iron then, in your blood, yeah. it's Oh, my God. And then you have the Golden Gate Bridge scene. And then you have the first you have the first class, like I said, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then you get the stadium. You get the stadium. You get him pulling a bunker up from the White House before we knew it was there, but we knew it was there, but before we knew it was there. And, like, what? You... So then, we have Apocalypse. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to check out to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE.
you've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So then we have Apocalypse. And I say Apocalypse, X-Men Apocalypse serves a very important function of making sure that we realize this team is interesting because we're going to want to see more from them. And not only are we going to see more from them, we're going to want to see them face other mutants. And now that we realize that Magneto is not necessarily going to be a problem all the time, who else are they going to face? A beautiful teaser at the end, of Days of Future Past. That was one of the best things that we could get. Everyone was very excited. Uh, the casting for Apocalypse, uh, it, was, it, was, it was questionable. Agreed. <laughs> I love Oscar Isaacs. I really do. But that man is too handsome to put in prosthetics. What you doing? Come on now. He looked like Ivan Ooze from the Power Rangers yeah. movie. And you guys, you want to know something? You want to know something? I still will give that movie passing marks before the last installment in the franchise like that kid in my class passes with a c the final film x-men dark phoenix here's where it went wrong guys god x-men dark phoenix it was it was a lot and it was a story that should have been told right here's 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 the description from imdb when i want you to know that up until this point we have only established that there are humans and mutants on the earth. Yes, we have only there's, there's, ever. The movies have only told you humans, mutants, the end. Okay? Maybe cybernetically enhanced humans, but just there's nothing else. There's nothing there's, else. There's nothing. There's nothing. So, the X-Men, Protectors of Peace. Jean Grey is one of the most beloved X-Men, but when a mission goes wrong, Jean is exposed to a dark and ancient power. This power has destroyed everything it comes in contact with until her. Now that this power is becoming unstable, she releases it with destruction and anger. Now that this foreign power is consuming her and the world is threatened, the X-Men have to face an important truth. They must either save the world or their friend who threatens it. All right. Okay. So in, in a very nice way, one of the first things we understand about this film is that Jean Grey is a much more powerful telekinetic than we have realized, which is something we established in uh, X-Men Last Stand. And they do a very heart-wrenching depiction of the car accident that affects her and her parents very lives. much so. that that was a that was a scene that i was just like oh this movie might be better than i thought yeah and it gives you a glimpse into what made her so standoffish in the first and second films where we get to see uh sophie turner in this role we go why would why is she so why is she so weird why is she so standoffish? But then when you realize that she caused the death of what we found out one of her parents, we go, oh, the, oh, I, oh, I understand. The interesting part about this, 
is that scene is not anywhere in the comics. In comic book history, what happens is Jean's best friend gets hit by a car and Jean's burgeoning telepathy experiences that on an empathic and telepathic level and experiences the death of her childhood friend in a car accident. And that's what causes her to shut down her telepathy in the comic books. I gotta be honest, that's a, that's a very affecting scene that if they put that in the movie, I, I feel like they did a good job with this scene, but I feel like yeah. that is just like I don't know terrifying. if they were allowed to kill another kid. Fair uh, enough. That's... This was one of the things that was different from the other episodes we've done where, where most of the bad movies we've seen, we had to work because so much was bad in the first 10 minutes that we had to work oh, to yeah. not just do the whole podcast in those 10 minutes. This one, it was... It it really, I really thought it was going to go somewhere right from the start. I mean, yeah, I did. I really did too. We also were fooled at the, you guys remember at the end of Apocalypse? Yes. We get some costumes. Right. And we never get to see those costumes ever again. Not only that, here's the thing. In in X-Men Apocalypse, she uses her powers to beat a Apocalypse, but it takes the form of a phoenix around here. In this movie, they're implying that the phoenix comes later, and like what she was doing made no sense in the previous movie. Now, not only do they take the, not only do they take the form of a phoenix avatar, phoenix raptor, Apocalypse is aware of it and is like, finally, he has a line where he's like, "I knew it." Or he's happy to yeah. succumb to this power more powerful than him. And you kind of go, oh, did he know this was inside of Gene? Because uh, from a cinematic standpoint, what was established in the kind of previous continuity is that the Phoenix is just the strongest form of her telekinetic powers. Right. That's all it is. It's telekinetic friction and force that's so powerful that molecules rub together and it creates combustion. She can disintegrate things. It's spontaneous combustion. It's the highest and most dangerous and kind of uncontrolled form of her telekinetic energy. What happens in this film is that we realize that she killed both. We think both of her parents and then we found out it's not true. This is based, this actual scene is based on Magneto's daughter, actually, from the comic books. So what happens with Polaris in uh, what happens with Polaris is that Lorna Dane's parents are on a plane and they're arguing. They're arguing about their daughter, the father, who's a pilot doesn't think the kid is his and then the mother is trying to assure him that she is his daughter and he has all these questions and he's screaming and she's screaming and poor Lorna Dane in the comic books the daughter of Magneto the illegitimate child of Magneto gets so upset and overwhelmed kind of like what happens with Jean Grey is she takes down the plane takes down the plane, wraps herself in a ball of electromagnetic energy to repel any shrapnel and to cushion her from the impact. Her parents die on impact in the plane. And Magneto senses an electromagnetic pulse go go off. He goes to the crash site, sees her, knows exactly what happened, brings Mastermind, erases the child's memories of this event, and then sends her away and like basically says he just wants to be like an okay dad at an arm's length so that's where they got this opening scene from i had no idea it was tied to that that is uh 
I mean, they, they really took a lot of that for this opening scene. Yeah, this down to the screaming, down to the vehicle. And down to the that, that wall around her, too. That was such a distinctive scene that, that uh, obviously, here was psychic energy, but that wall of protection she established. They did so much to show that they have their comic book bona fides, and yet they screw up so much of this movie. <laughs> That, right, we got to get to all the stuff they actually got <laughs> wrong here. Also, this was, uh, I am the least knowledgeable here on my lore, um, but I am loving this so much. <laughs> but the, um, I feel like one of this, this great moment of foreshadowing was the introduction of Xavier with just these glorious tresses in 1975, oh. this hair that, and then this immediate <laughs> cut to 1992 where he's bald and it's like okay so much has gone wrong we, we've got to see what it was not only not only has so much gone wrong we get to see that charles we've established he's not great and i gotta say any person who wants to establish a paramilitary force at their school they're not a good person i'm just yeah you know, i mean I have a joke that it's probably hopefully in my next hour where I go as, as a minority growing up in Mississippi, I was like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? I said, oh, that's Magneto. He's a bad guy. And I go, what makes him the bad guy? He thinks that oppressed people should take up arms against their oppressors and never let it happen again. And I was like, uh, bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, who's the good guy? And they're like, oh, this man? Well, he let's kids fight for him <laughs> also he can control people's minds what was that last one he lets kids fight for him <laughs> it's it really does show this this very questionable and it, it takes him so long to realize it too like people are pointing this out and he's not getting it oh yeah i mean they have that really hilarious kind of like ham-fisted line where Jennifer Lawrence says she should rename the team ex-women because we're the ones who save and everything. And that's a bit of internet fan service because so many of the most powerful women on the X-Men like kind of are the de facto people that are the most fans of. People love Storm. People, which I'll get to in this book, because my goodness, what have they done to Storm in this movie <laughs> as far as her power set? Um they people love Jean Grey. People love uh, Emma Frost. Whenever she did join the X Men, people love Storm. People love Psylocke. So people people love the women on the X team, and so you get that line. And Jennifer Lawrence is like, "We should. We can't do everything all the time, Charles. In fact, part of that frustration." <laughs> And when tell me if you agree, you get to see Jennifer Lawrence tell Simon Kinneberg in 20th Century Fox Studios, I can't do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, here's the thing. Quick, quick divergence on Jennifer Lawrence, who is a fantastic actress. But let, let's go through her like, yeah, let's go through her. Usually likable. She's very good. Let's go through her like quick little uh, a bio read of her. So she gets Winter's Bone which she is nominated for an Academy Award for when she is 13? like 17. Yeah, no, she's young. She's like 17, 16, 17, when she's nominated for an Academy Award for Winner's Bone. Uh, afterwards, she immediately gets the Hunger Games and uh, X-Men. So she gets two huge, giant blockbuster franchises back to back. And she gives her- That's three movies. That's six movies. Yeah, she she gets she gets- Let's see, there's four Hunger Games and she does four X-Men. So Jesus Christ. 
So she she gets like these like huge giant blockbusters, but you can tell with the X Men ones that while it was probably a great experience in the first one, she does not want to do. She's become too big of a star so fast. She does not want to do body paint for <laughs> all the other ones. So like, which is not unreasonable, but it's like oh, okay, we we really. This would have been nice if you stuck with it, but I get it. Yeah, I think you know what you do. I mean, they. It, I think the scaling and the body paint, because Mystique is in an X suit for a lot of this film and a lot of Apocalypse. <laughs> Whereas, like Mystique and Rebecca Romaine was. I don't think Rebecca Romaine ever put on even shoes. <laughs> no, she never even wore shoes. Whereas in all of Jennifer Lawrence's appearances, they like have her like bundled up. And in this one, it looks like she didn't even sit for makeup. It looks like they just put her in the <laughs> orange wig and then CG'd her blue afterwards. <laughs> uh, I think that she definitely sat in the chair. I just think that she's had a very short time limit on how long she wanted to be in the makeup chair. Um, and that's from a plot standpoint. You see what happens with that. I was, yeah, I was reading about that afterwards. I thought, why? She's one of our favorites. Why would they get rid of her? And of course, they said, well, no, we needed this dramatic loss. And then as you continue to watch, it makes so much more sense. It's like, no, she didn't want to do this. I don't, I don't blame her. <laughs> but let's not pretend this is plot related. I was about to say, the other thing that we realize is that her power set, if she would have stayed in the film, would have been superfluous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. That's a really good point, though. No, that's a very, very good point. So, so there is a problem in space. And Charles Xavier is just like, we have to get you guys to space. Which is not the X-Men's purview in the cinematic universe that we have established in the comic books they go to space all the time in the comic books charles xavier has a space boo he's dating this woman who is so much more than dating his like soulmate is uh lalandra who is the princess of the shiar empire like space is a huge component in x-men folklore from a comic book standpoint but in the movie it's just it's it's a lot to tell people that they gonna go to space. They right because they they don't have a spaceship. They go to Beast and he says, "Can you modify that new plane?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, like twenty minutes." By the way, if you can build a spaceship in twenty minutes, you have already built the spaceship. That's not a skill set you pass up on. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, this was it was absolutely pointless. Except he gets the call from the president about this space disaster. And the president calls him on an X phone that is on his desk across from his regular. Charles Xavier does not have a secret identity. He can call him with a regular number. <laughs> there is no point to this phone. He doesn't need the special X phone. Yeah, he's not trying to juggle two things. He's not going to use a different voice when he uses the X phone. Just like, right. hey, man, give me a call. Charles Xavier is one of those people, uh, sort of like, I guess, like Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm. It's Stephen Strange where you're like, man, you just you just really didn't want to hide anything. Okay. <laughs> like, even though we know Tony Stark is Iron Man, he still says, I'm Iron Man. Even if you had a press conference where he's like, I am Iron Man. But you know what? While I'm in the suit, just like, don't call me right. Tony while I'm in the suit. <laughs> With Charles Xavier, like, any stranger could be like, what's up, Chuck? How you doing, dog? <laughs> he's like, we, um, 
And they're like, oh, thanks for telling me. <laughs> just going just gonna to bring my name and information in your head. No need for my business card. I'm, I'm making sure that you remember my phone number from when you were eight years old. <laughs> uh, yeah, he could also, the the president could telepathically contact Charles Xavier. He could say, hey, remember this particular Psy signature? It's the it's the president. The president could be like, could you got you got me locked in? Is that have you ever done a show with someone? It's like, oh man, we all have each other's numbers. Like, no, I, we definitely have each other's number. <laughs> no, 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 we all have your number. Yeah, we have. And they text you, and you see you have exchanges before. That's what this could have been. Sorry, I'm loving this. They go to space. They save the astronauts, but Jean Grey gets hit by a cosmic force that we will later know as the Phoenix Force, and she absorbs it, which into her body but she also had already manifested a phoenix avatar slash raptor in the previous film it's not it's not good writing but what can you expect the guy who wrote this was the same one who wrote x-men 3 which was this exact same storyline and he did it worse for this version everyone remember what win just said the reason this is where things went wrong because this is arguably the worst movie in the franchise and you chose to do it again yeah that was it it was there were so many directions they could have gone with this and instead it's like no let's just let's just do the same thing that everyone hated let's do that again (laughs) right down to like the i think even putting her in a red outfit that wasn't her ex outfit was just it's the exact same outfit from from X-Men 3. It's like no difference at all. It was just everything was graphed on except for the makes more sense choice of these just being powers she already has but is locked away. Yeah. So like so she gets hit by a supernova. She comes back. And the first thing that we realize is like made Jean different is something that sort of excited me. I was like, oh, is this like a little X-Men kickback party? <laughs> oh. I was like, we're going to get to see some hijinks and some antics. Yeah, they're on the woods. They're drinking. It seems like it's going to be fun. Dazzler is putting on a show. You're like, they put Dazzler? First time we see Dazzler, too. And then we never see her again. But Jean is there. She, She takes Scott's drink. She wants another one. And I really could not tell, is this supposed to be she wants to get drunk or she is underhydrated? I had no idea what direction they were going. Also, she gets horny. Yes. Like dangerously horny which i think is a bit of an anti-feminist message like at the core sometimes when it comes to the dark phoenix saga like oh this entity just wants pleasure unlimited pleasure and it's like we we, i mean yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh yeah that the most relatable thing about the phoenix is that it's just horny all the time that is (laughs) the phoenix (laughs) it's such a it's such a weird stands for like the x-men to take for it just to be like an empowered woman Get her. (laughs) (laughs) And then they don't even hold on to Uh, it, though. It's like they established it and then everything else is like, okay, well, we said it. So we don't need to bring that up again. And it's like the horniness is then like this placeholder for like teenage angst. And it's not like angst, like, I don't know if someone's going to like me. What happens is that, okay, we also have to establish that at this woods party storm, an Omega level mutant with the power to control the weather now the power to control the weather is a number of phenomena it's not only like electrical manipulation it is uh, it's atmospheric like control you're talking about hydrokinesis you're talking about cryokinesis you're talking about aerokinesis like the water wind temperature you 
have her just making y'all ice cubes. 90% of her power in this movie, even when she was fighting, was ice-based. I kept thinking, why don't they have Bobby in here? Why why are we using Storm for this instead of Iceman? Because then then you wouldn't have Jay being able to pay attention to the rest of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. And because then they wouldn't have this fun little like popularity contest of who's going to be the next Iceman, which I think is going to be Colton Haynes, probably. I don't know. Or it might just be some new pretty boy. And Bobby needs to be very funny. And I'm sorry, Shia, but you're you're a hothead. You there's so many places that you can actually go. That Shia LaBeouf could fit into so many X Men movie characters. Not Shia LaBeouf Iceman. could be fucking Wolverine tomorrow if he wanted. He would. He's he has five. the body. He has the body type. He has the look. I'd buy it, but. They have this party. Uh, eventually, uh, Jean freaks out at the party. <laughs> Everyone gets scared, and she recovers memories. Recovers memories, and this is another part of the movie where you go, "Oh, all right, I've I've forgiven some of this because we're gonna get to some meat." Jean is gonna say, "Charles, you fucked with my memories." And we get a confrontation and we go, okay, great. Now, what are we going to do? Gene knows that Charles lied. Gene knows that Gene's dad is still alive, that he's the person who was like, can you shut her down? Can you like kill her? Can you like do something? And so then she goes on a search for answers, which I mean, it's it's a direct parallel to the time it happened last time. She's going to go back to her childhood home. Or did she go to Genosha before? No, she. Uh, I believe she goes to her childhood home before because she goes to Genosha after what happens when she confronts the X-Men. So the childhood home fight sequence, this is the second time they've done it. it it's just, it's a hard thing to get right. The reason that this one is interesting is because the X-Men try to go to stop her. And just from a team building standpoint, there's no one. Okay, you guys play RPGs. There's, there's not a ranged attack. We don't have an archer. There's no one that can even get to Gene. Yeah. Well, it, it should right. be Cyclops. Yes, it should be Cyclops. But even that, from a defensive standpoint, you kind of go, oh no, I don't know if this is the team to go after her. I don't even know if a physical confrontation is is worth it. And so what happens is there attempts to be a physical confrontation, and she takes out. She takes out Quicksilver relatively quickly. Way too easy. Here's the yeah. thing. With, with the thing with Quicksilver, the thing with him in any movies is they have to immediately explain, like, why he can't solve everything right away. Like, they've right. broken his leg in, like, three movies in a row to explain why he could <laughs> not just, like, solve the problem Im- immediately. But they also did some... Well, Apocalypse, Apocalypse like, broke his leg and Gene tripped him? Or did... Uh, Gene tripped him. Apocalypse broke so his leg. So they tried to do the... Uh, the one cool scene from Justice League is when Flash is like trying to like yeah. go around Superman and Superman just turns Slowly and moves. Yeah. And they tried to do you that get to with see Henry Cavill see Ezra Miller. The other thing is you can see Ezra Miller see Henry Cavill's mustache and that's what he gets <laughs> But also Superman, we know he's got the speed to match here. Why is how is Phoenix or uh, uh, suddenly is it the Phoenix that lets her suddenly be able to do this? I wish they did it as cool because, like, they they yes. imply that she has those quick as uh, reflexes, but yet, like, don't like really capitalize on that really interesting moment. Yeah, and then we get Mystique attempting to talk Jean out of this, and that's where I start to get worried because 
I kind of knew I was like, oh, if, if anyone's gonna eat it, it's probably gonna be right. Mystique, and she does. She gets uh, shrapnel. I think it's a fence post, yeah. some wooden thing straight through the chest, and then you also get to see everyone kind of turn. Especially, you get to see Beast turn on Jean. You get to see this is like another moment where you get to have like a dark Beast. This is a, kind of a. a a bit of fan service to anyone who was a big fan of Age of Apocalypse. You get to have Beast be like on the wrong side of things because he's mad. I will say it was very it was very emotional for me because in her death scene, you can look in Mystique's eyes and see her think, I don't have to put on this fucking makeup ever again. <laughs> <laughs> like Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence is just filled with so much joy as she just closes her eyes. Just like the sweet release of getting out of your contract. <laughs> her, her eyes closed. She can hear the money hit her bank account, and then like she didn't stick. Uh, she didn't stick around for the rap party. <laughs> she didn't come back. She like didn't even wipe off the makeup. She got into a car and drove off set. Oh my and god! And never looked back. I guarantee you, when they were like, "And that's a rap on day law," she was like, "Woo." Thing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, when this is all happening, we also have these alien entities that have shown up hunting for this power uh, that, that have just crashed a dinner party and immediately take over the woman who looks most like an alien to begin with. <laughs> And yeah. she, she does it in real life. It's Jessica Chastain, who's, who's of course you know lovely and wonderful. But they've made her look like an alien to begin with. It's like, dude, you're you're trying to fit in here. What what's what's the well, plan? You know what happened. So they wanted. Oh man. So the, give the, us the background. Di- give us different everything. things. So Jessica Chastain, as like a platinum blonde in this film, was supposed to be like a bit of a misdirect. So when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, is she Emma Frost? I was like, oh, no, maybe she's Lady Mastermind. In the comic books, Mastermind, who is the person who originally manipulates the Phoenix with his illusion-based telepathic powers, he has two daughters, uh, I think, what's, uh, Martinique and Reagan. And Reagan is blonde, Reagan Windguard, and she has manipulation powers that are telepathic and illusion-based. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. You get a female villain. I was like, this makes perfect sense. She's a mutant. This is the Hellfire Club. That's what I got from the trailer. That's what I wanted, the introduction of the Hellfire Club out of this. I thought that's where they were going to go. Yeah. Our reintroduction because they go, oh, this is the new Hellfire Club that Sebastian Shaw established in the first Matthew Vaughn film. Right. Bring it full What we found out is that she is part of the Dabari. Now, the Dabari in the comic books are colloquially known as the broccoli people. <laughs> That's just what we call them in X-Men lore. You, If you type in your computer right now, broccoli people Marvel is going to say the Dabari. And they hate the Phoenix because the Phoenix, um, during the Dark Phoenix saga, ate one of their sons and destroyed the Dabari home planet. This is the reason for the gripe in the film. But we don't get any of that. So we just see semi-humanoid creatures that can shapeshift. And then I found out that originally they weren't even supposed to be the Dabari. They were supposed to be Skrulls. And the X-Men do have a bit of a history with the Skrull Empire and the Shi'ar Empire. But the Skrulls specifically. 
So then I did a little bit more research when it came out where they can't use the scrolls because the scrolls were the primary antagonist in Captain Marvel that came out way too close to this. So they had to reshoot tons of this and make them the Dabari. So lines had to be changed. They originally were going to have like a giant space battle. And then they looked at and they're just like, we can't use the scrolls. And the space battle looks exactly like Captain Marvel's. Because she does look like Captain Marvel with the glow around her when she's all phoenixed out. Very much. Yeah. So, in fact, they just give us so- a, like a, basically a throwaway line of, of Vuk uh, of the Dabari race says, uh, no, we want the phoenix because it destroyed our people. And it's like, okay, cool. That, that's a good reason. Are you going to show us any anything about that? No, we're just we're just going to move on. So she's trying to get this uh, power for herself or kill it. There's some discussion of like, do we want to? Are we going to use this to bring back people to life? It was all very vague and just they're trying to get the power, but we're not invested in any of this. And the Dabari are shape shifting semi humanoid people who also sort of look like the sentinels in days of future past because they're faceless shapeshifters who can automatically heal from everything and create like sharp tendrils and claws it's such a weird mix of everything have you ever okay have you ever eaten something out of a tupperware container that had something oniony in it (laughs) what was in here i know this flavor that's what this is you'd be like i didn't know i was in the mood for onion chocolate cake. This is such a solid <laughs> analogy. <laughs> so, I, I will say, so she she goes to uh, Genosha. Genosha Gen- uh, she goes to Genosha. Genosha which she is, goes to the fictional, like, the cinematic version of Genosha. Yeah, which is, uh, in the comics, it is an island or a planet or whatever you want it to be really, uh, at the time. <laughs> an asteroid sometimes. You know, it could be anything in the comics. But here, it's just like a little outpost that Magneto has. And he's, like, questioning, like, why are you here? She's like, I need help. And pretty much uh, the U.S. military shows up, and they're like, we need the girl. And there begins, like, a fight between Magneto and Jean, which for them is they're both trying to control a helicopter. Uh, She's trying to destroy it. He's trying to save it. But, like, visually, it's just, like, Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner both, like, kind of sticking their hands out (laughs) and, like, yelling. (laughs) It was this stuck with me so much because it was like they're they're doing that and and they're shaking obviously because they're trying to indicate you know that this is a, a struggle, but it was nothing. It's just like dude, you guys are just reaching. It's like a kid who doesn't know how to play catch and is just hoping the ball lands. Oh, and it's just some of the worst force yes. acting as, as Star Wars fans. You guys know every now and then you extend your hand. You maybe put like two fingers up to indicate that you're attempting to wrest yes. something forcefully from someone else. You have to like pull out tension in your neck and that arm. It's it's okay. When you're lifting a stadium, impressive. But when you're battling over like a US helicopter and it's just two people, it's just such a weird moment to try to make a big deal. Exactly. It, Visually, it, really it just it doesn't register as something cool. It's just like these two actors just like really flex. And Michael Fassbender, he flexes with the best of them. I'll say, right. I'll say this movie, <laughs> they figured out how to make Michael Fassbender look the most fuckable he has in any of them. And he looked fuckable in all of them beforehand. But they, which, I, which, yeah, I mean, and the reason this is troubling here is he's supposed to be 62 at this point. Oh, we haven't talked about 
the idea that they were going to place each of these films in a different decade. Right. Look, I knew there was going to be a stretch of obviously they're not going to age right because they're the same age. But but Fassbender, that was a lot. He's supposed to look like uh, 62 and he's like 40. (laughs) He's supposed to be in his 60s. I will say, though, the dark helmet, the dark trench coat, all that stuff. It worked. I'm sorry. I know. I know that. Yeah. I'm going a lot on how fuckable Michael Fassbender is, but this is purely <laughs> the most fuckable he's looked. When have you seen Shame? Uh, <laughs> he has a film where he's a sex addict and you see his massive dong. <laughs> so, I mean, there's also a lot of that. Well, I know so what I'm watching later. Metal. <laughs> you know, I feel like that was the point where they just kind of went with a look. We're not going to make him look old. Let's just make him so hot. Nobody cares. Yeah. The hottest I think he's ever looked to me. And this is like just a personal note is whenever he's hunting for Nazis in Argentina and he throws the knife True. through a guy's chest, brings a knife back to himself, stabs a knife through a guy's hand and then slicks his hair back and drinks a fucking beer. I was like, <laughs> oh, my that- God. What a moment. That is, Michael Fassbender has never been the problem in any of these movies. Let's just no, get, that, let's get that out of the way right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say, uh, and this hopefully gets makes its way to the DNC, I was radicalized by a strong Jewish man. And they're like, who? And I was like, Michael Fassbender is Magneto. <laughs> So eventually they have a they have a falling out. Magneto and and Gene have a falling out, and then it's it Magneto and Beast team up to take out Dark Phoenix. Well, because we find out because Magneto's like, who did you kill? She he's like, I know what it looks like when you start killing people. Right, I've done it. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> what did you do? And she, Gene basically Gene is every. Like guy when he gets caught. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> what? What? I, what? I would never kill Raven, our friend. What? Yeah. Are you talking? What? Did she say something? I don't even think. I don't even think about her that much. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> then it's like you get you get why Beast and Magneto are this upset. But we got to talk about another very silly part of this movie. The fact that the per- the other person who Magneto chooses to bring as his bodyguard is just Willow Smith. I mean, Red Lotus, because yeah. he just whips his hair back and forth. That's oh, it. Oh, yeah, that, that's such a silly power, and it's and it's just very much like a, have we run out of X-Men? And, like, you haven't at all. You are nowhere, you have- you are nowhere near the top of X-Men you can use. But he, he, they were just like, oh, the hair guy, the hair guy. Like, you could have had Spike in there. Spike is really cool if you want. You can have Spike. I mean, if you want to, if you want to give someone a challenge and you also want to play visually with malleability, there's a, a mutant who was on, who worked for Mr. Sinister a lot named Gorgeous George, who has a British accent and he's just purple and made out of this like mud-like substance. He's ba- he's close. To, he's very close to Clayface from the Batman Rogues Gallery. You can have him. There's so many people you can play with. I mean, it was just the it was the yeah. that choice to go. Oh, you know who can combat Storm and Cyclops? This guy with hair. <laughs> and then they bring Celine in too as this partner without really introducing here that this is Celine. We find out her name right before she dies, basically. Yeah, as a, te- as a, they just want another telepath. Yeah. 
You've, yeah. you've again got options here. And and Celine, I mean, the other thing about Celine is that she's stronger than all of them. She's primarily an antagonist in yeah. an X-Men standpoint. She's older than Apocalypse and she lives that long because she's she's a psychic vampire, which I mean, listen, I'm already turned on. You don't have to add <laughs> vampire to any of this. But she can take psychic and life energy from people and she usually she's also always scantily clad like her and emma frost she was the black queen of the hellfire club and emma frost was a white queen and that just meant they she wore a black corset and <laughs> and, and a cape and, boots. and a cape you have to have but the they cape. don't give us any of this fantastic backstory that she has also this is unrelated but on longer run psychic powers that smash cut from eric putting on his helmet right before he goes to kill gene to charles yes. taking off cerebro helmet i this this was one of the it was supposed to be such an intense scene and i wanted to buy into it it was just everything around it was so ridiculous that i i I was already checked out you know i couldn't invest oh yeah well i mean you can draw as many parallels as you want we get it like it's that's been made that's since since the first film you get it opposite sides of the same coin sure. you don't have to be like they both have helmets right like, yeah. okay. so heavy-handed yeah we we understand this is civil rights malcolm x and martin <laughs> luther king like we get we get it they're they're right. two sides with different ideologies on how to approach it and then they have this fight at what looks like the epstein mansion in New York. <laughs> um, so i don't know how they so magneto pulls up a subway train when i mean we've established in the other movies he can fly right he can just have like an opposite magnetic attraction to the earth along like the core of the earth and just fly but he just he's like no you know i feel like he uses subway (laughs) he wants to use the subway no but so there there's this big fight scene she takes out the x-men easily and then her and vuk have this whole thing where like Vuk's trying to take the power for her, for her, him, whatever they they self, uh, yes, th- themselves, and uh, eventually there's this really cool moment where Jean's just like, "You want power here," and like Oof. blows her up by filling her up with the power. She's dead. Jean disappears, and now they're just like. We're going to now name the school Jean Grey's School for Gifted Youngsters. <laughs> right. Like, also, which is like, okay, I, that choice, I guarantee you, Wynn and Andrew, was made before this film was even shot. Because when this film was released, I want to say two year, two or three years before the film was released, the school in New York City in the comic books was the Jean Grey Institute of Higher Learning because she she's dead. Of course. And I was just like, wow, you guys, we okay, great, but I'm so you, glad that I didn't need that. A reason for it because I saw that I thought, why is this name not named after Raven, the person that was killed by the yeah. person you're naming is after? Yeah, the, the, the good guy. Right. And fuck, it's like, I get it, it's like how you then, finish right? the game matters, but like most oh, yeah. of this movie, she she's evil. She did okay, but also you don't have to rename it. It can still be named after Charles. It's fine. Yeah, it can still be the Xavier Institute. The other thing about naming the school after her, after because the, the fight, they had a train fight. Uh, anyone who likes 
action movies, there's always a train fight. People know about train fights. It's a great set piece. Yeah, I'm just saying, who doesn't love a train fight? I think that what made me go, oh, is I was like, man, are these just alien Wolverine? I don't <laughs> care about these things anymore. I just don't care. And their ability, the, the range, like Beast was killing them. He was tearing them apart. But gunshots, now there was no established weakness here there there was no consistency this is how strong or weak they are it was just yeah, yeah. they yeah. can take bullets but like if like but they fall down don't scratch them yeah yeah it was yeah don't throw and like them. we got some we got some very cool magneto moments we finally got a cute storm moment in a film where she was just set dressing yeah jesus that was a waste uh, but, of storm storm should always just Come on, we 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 you all know we want more storm. Yeah, there have been moments. So, h- however much you guys like Avatar, that's that that's like what Storm can do on a very just basic level. She can, she can create like she could give you a heat stroke like that. She right. can flash freeze. There's a lightning. There's wind control manipulation. There's so many things that you just okay. Don't great. forget she can make just, ice for drinks at parties. Right. So in, right, instead they've got her again throwing lightning and ice at the at the Dabari remaining Dabari Empire <laughs> here and and derailing. I mean, not even derailing the train keeps going. You guys can derail this at any point and just kind of fight on land. But instead they oh, they keep man. tearing this train apart. And then as Wen said, she's finally blowing up Vuk by transferring the power. And then this, even though she's like getting rid of the power, there's like this moment of oh she can't she can't take it. Jean's gonna die now. So she goes up to space to explode <laughs> it seems to, to be explode and then that's the end of the movie yes charles and magneto they meet in paris or italy they meet somewhere in europe it's, paris. it's a very so okay so it's a very dark night situation if you guys remember what yes. happens that yeah yeah, yeah, or, yeah yeah so then we see them meet and what do we see in the sky but a phoenix avatar slash raptor and that's the end of the movie that's it that, that's, that's just it you have to end it with magneto and charles playing chess it's how every x-men movie has ever been written and they're not going right. to stop now they are going <laughs> to play chess and gene through this oh, is yeah. giving the voiceover to suggest is she dead is she alive is she just no longer a mutant and is now part of space because they don't even clarify what it is it's just she's part of space now feels and, to then, the overall yeah. and guys that was the end of these fox movies uh they're, yeah. they're gonna have the new mutants but i'm not even sure if that technically qualifies us in this continuity so yeah no this was how they chose that. to end the series they started these in 2001 19 years later here we are and they ended it with two fuckable 60 year olds playing <laughs> playing chess in a park we should all be angry i feel like it's the general message uh, we what's, should all be so lucky what's going to happen what's going to happen to those two in the next eight years that they become patrick stewart and ian mcclellan <laughs> i mean and that's that's all the bad. That's all the bad. That's all the um, bad. We have done the bad. That is Dark Phoenix and what we think of it. However, we have a segment in this show where even though we shat on this for an entire hour, we are going to force one of us to defend it. So, Jay, please tell us what you're thinking is in their defense. I think in their defense, this movie was so bad that it made 
20th Century Fox and Disney say, maybe we should work together. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was so bad that it made, it basically made X-Men fans say, you know what? I don't even care if Comcast gets to monopolize the movie industry. Can we get some help on this? <laughs> it's so, it, This movie was so bad that good came about from it i think that we also need to appreciate how hard it is to craft like a space odyssey and it made me it made me appreciate every x movie before it so that that's some of the good also we got like two really really cool scenes at the end i think that like the the final like phoenix stuff and some of the final phoenix artwork is actually very interesting i think that some of the promotional images for this film were amazing so i'm not gonna say that visually it was all bad but those are those are the four things i'm gonna say say i guess like help this film i mean and the first scene the first scene was the the first first scene scene was was amazing the first scene is amazing uh fuckable michael fassbender uh yeah those were the two points i had yeah and and how bad it was leading to a new disney approved (laughs) x-men series is going to be what we're going to take away (laughs) as as the good parts of x-men dark phoenix guys that was a lot of fun this was this was such a great time this was great oh thank you i've Anytime I can talk about X-Men, I'm very happy. Because right now, the X-Men all live on like this hippie commune fuck island. So <laughs> in the comic books, Wolverine and Scott and Jean all like sleep in adjoining rooms. So Oh, yeah. And then, that. You, and then you have Xavier, who's just wearing like a black bodysuit and a helmet. And he's just yeah. kind of like, he's walking <laughs> and he's just like kind of like float. It's really more of a float. He's more of a gingerly uh, just kind of like. I- Think sliding that into the, the X-Men have just watched a lot of Rocky Horror shows. <laughs> no, it's it's like the X-Men are just like, guys, let's 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 be honest here. A lot of people started reading these books because they want to see these guys fuck. So <laughs> So you know what? Gene, Cyclops, and Wolverine, they're a thruple now. They all they all just go yeah. and they do their things and like people are like, should they fight somebody? And everyone's like, nah. Like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think that's what Paris was supposed to let us know. That there was gonna to be some Eiffel Tower action <laughs> in the future. The sad part is Mystique was not there to be to be the joining bridge <laughs> between <laughs> Charles, Charles and Aaron. She is. She That's is. another thing. You know what I say? I say have. I don't know because it's just a comic book movie. You and Jennifer Lawrence is gonna say no. It's the last one. Like have her sh- have one person that you see in Paris walk by. Their eyes are yellow. And Charles goes, "Did you?" And Eric goes, "Nah." <laughs> you know what? You could do that, and everyone would lose their minds. And it would redeem oh, yeah. so many things about this movie because she was fighting to get out of the team and leave. Yeah, right. so like to have her have and you her can happy just say, moment. Oh, because of. Because of her cellular manipulation, she also has like heightened regeneration power. So we just like didn't want to deal with letting you guys know she was still alive. Beast can feel more betrayed. It's a lot. I mean, Days of Future Past kind of tries to say that Mystique has healing powers anyway. Because like the Sentinels have it because they have her powers. Right. Yeah. And just that would have been such a better ending. I would have loved that. Anytime you want to extend the power set, you just go, oh, because of pseudoscience, if this is true, then that is true. <laughs> if you can change if you can change the appearance of yourselves and you have like, I guess, uh, 
like you can limit your aging, which seems to be just across the <laughs> yeah, board. Yeah, all of them yeah. can do it. <laughs> then, I mean, technically, you should be able to repair cellular damage. Definitely should have ended with like some random passerby in Paris doing like a turn with their eyes turning yellow, like they're Michael Jackson and Thriller. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. With their arm around someone too. That person, of course, being blind lady whose name I forget. Oh, Destiny. Destiny. Destiny Irene Adler. Mystique is uh, Mystique is bisexual, but she was married to a woman who could tell the future, and I think that's why Destiny chose not to be in this movie because she knew they would Uh Jay, this was so much fun having you on the show, man. I really appreciate you coming uh. on. Thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. And once again, uh, I like to say the X-Men, they're kind of like theater kids. I can make fun of them because I am one, but you guys better <laughs> not. Watch yourselves. Well, this this was so much fun. And uh, yeah, Jay, I'm such a fan. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we've got another show next week. When What's happening then? So next week, we have Mike Camerlingo, uh, creator of 60 Second Classics on Twitter and Instagram, coming on to talk about the home run race of the 90s and how trying to rid steroids from baseball ruined baseball for everyone. Amazing. <laughs> That'll be our show. Uh, so this week again, we Jay Jordan, y'all, get the album. It's fantastic. We really appreciate you guys listening. And hey, have a good week, Andrew. Have a good week, Gwen. Bye. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.